The word of the Lord was rare in those days. And visions were not widespread. So says the narrator of 1 Samuel with a statement so striking it may still resound in our ears. But before we adopt the narrator's words as our own, we might ask what evidence we have that this declaration of the rarity of God's word isn't just the cynical musing of an aging priest or a disgruntled scribe who's just longing for the good old days. The narrator gives us a peek into the window of the temple where the sons of Eli are squandering the high priest's ministry and giving the temple an awful name, gorging themselves on sacrifices, uh, committing debauched acts with worshipers. The sons of Eli were scoundrels, says the narrator. Eli scolds them, pulls them aside, says, I've heard what you boys are doing. This is awful. You ought not be doing these things. But they ignore him, and and he just doesn't really have the energy to persist. What's more, his son's wickedness and carelessness reflect a general state of moral decay throughout Israel. This might have been expected, as we learn from the very last book line of the book of Judges, All the people did what was right in their own eyes. In these early chapters, we read with a foreboding sense, a sense of coming doom. During a profound crisis, when Israel was most vulnerable to outside threats and in most need of spiritual leadership, the priests aren't there for them. Those entrusted with reading the word, speaking the word, keeping the word are instead disgracing it. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. No wonder. Many of us, if you grew up in church and did RAs and GAs and Bible study and vacation Bible school and all that and learned all the stories and watched all those funny cartoons, uh, You probably have loved this story since childhood. It's an especially meaningful text to those who see their own discernment of their life's vocation reflected in Samuel's awakening. I do wonder if it resonates so deeply because we carry in our hearts a sense that any calling is an extraordinary event, akin to discovering a piece of precious jewelry on a sandy beach after a storm. Living as we do in an age of secularism, the word of the Lord seems all the more rare. That's a complicated word, secularism. And there seems to be no agreed upon definition. At the very least, what we call secularism is meant to describe a time that is closed off from transcendence. Or, I should say, what's out there that we can't see. Uh, secularism, secularism says everything about our experience, experience is imminent, that is, seen or right here. To put the matter as simply as I can, secular, secularism names a world that assumes that there can be no conversation between what we see and what we can't. 
No communication between whom we can see and whom we can't. We live with an assumption that only evidence-based things are really real. Tell someone living in a secular age that you've decided to spend Martin Luther King Jr. weekend listening for a word from the Lord and wait for them to look away and then look up and then look down at their shoelaces and then change the subject. Even those of us who aren't too embarrassed to listen for God, those of us who long for and appreciate sacred things, those of us who believe there is a conversation to be had with a God we cannot see, even when we, even we have been spooked by the language of decline. My entire adult life in ministry has been spent contending with mechanical assumptions that the church is in decline. I think if I put all the literature I read together with all of our fears in a big steaming pile of anxiety, it would scream out at us like the wicked witch of the East, I'm melting, I'm melting. It's so dramatic. A recent book I've been reading is called Churches and the Crisis of Decline by Professor Andrew Root. But Root said the title was not his idea. He didn't want the word decline in the title, but he was overruled. In other words, decline sells. Root's subtitle, thankfully, does include the word hope. You're worried about all these things, aren't you? If you're paying attention, I am too. Though like you, I have my very own prominent concerns about church, capital C, small c. But I must say I've grown weary with all the assumptions about decline. It strikes me as an expression of human arrogance to say we know how this story is going and we, we know how it's going to end. The word of the Lord is rare these days. Visions are not widespread. So sure about that. Come with me to the low glowing walls of young Samuel's bedroom as though we're holding hands with an angel and traveling through time and set down right in the secret corner of his bedroom. Watching the events unfold, we stand as, as unseen in his midst and there the boy sleeps. Beside him flickers an oil lamp so low on fuel that the orange part of the flame is, has been drawn down just to blue and the breath of wind through the window might extinguish it at any second and it would all be over. But there comes a voice. Samuel. Samuel. Ricocheting off the walls. It wakes the boy up. He sits up and looks around the room for Eli. And not seeing him, he runs to Eli's bed. Uh, I've heard someone speak to me. Uh, and Eli says, I didn't say anything, boy. Get back in your bed. Again, it happens. The boy awakes. He knows he's hearing a voice. He knows it wasn't a dream. He looks around the room for Eli, but not seeing him, he runs to Eli's bed again. Here I am for you called me. Eli, even more annoyed now, 
responds, I didn't call. Lie down again. A third time, the voice awakens Samuel. 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 He runs to Eli again. I don't know why he runs to Eli again. Eli's not being very helpful right now, but he does. And this time, Eli finally gets it. He discerns that something sacred is happening to Samuel. He recognizes that this may well be God's voice. It sure isn't his. Go back to bed, my son. And if you hear him calling again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so the boy goes back to his bed. He lies down. He hears the voice again. Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel rises and says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions not widespread. Make all the assumptions we want. Decline, decline. I'm melting. It's going to end soon. God says, Samuel. The word comes. The flame is not extinguished. The flame begins to spread. The energy contained in Samuel will be shared across the land. The word of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. And the word of the Lord ignites a young prophet to come with a new word and a new vision for a people who are in despair. There are several things that I want to share with you that I've picked up over the years reading this text that have helped me understand it for the church and for my own life. Now, you need to understand that I'm one of those people who uh, won the spiritual lottery of sorts. Uh, I was one of those struck by a thunderbolt, if you will. Boy, preaching my first sermon, Henderson, North Carolina, First Baptist Church, traditional worship service, hymns, standing, sitting, lighting candles, handbells, choir, robes, Anyone expecting anything extraordinary to happen? I have no idea what I told those people. What I cannot possibly forget is uh, wearing my oversized robe in the narthex, greeting all the people coming by and saying things like, you'd be the next Billy Graham. They were a little off. Uh, and so uh, everyone came through, and uh, I looked down and saw all the makeup from the ladies who give me hugs and kisses. And I walked back through the nave all alone. And up the stairs, behind the, the chancel, 
and into the stairwell and into the choir robe room. I took off my robe and hung it. I walked back into the stairwell and I had to hold on to the banister. Something struck me. You've heard me probably quote before Karl Barth saying the word of God is like an arrow striking you from a foreign shore. It comes from you from outside. It's not your own idea. It, it it's, uh, calls you out. It's something from outside of you. It, it, it comes to you from a distance. And I, I had to hold on to the banister as a as a word came to me that was not my own, and I still don't know how it happened, but it happened, and I, I testify to you today to say that the word of the Lord is a flame. And the word said, I want you to do this for the rest of your life. So I told people I was going to be a surgeon. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go into surgery. Um, thank God I didn't for the people who would have been operated on for their sake. Uh, I, kept, I kept that close to heart. I rarely tell this story. How did that happen? I certainly wasn't looking for it, and I wasn't even listening for it. I needed an Eli, and thank God I had one. And his name was Paul, and he was encouraging me, and he kept seeing something happen. He kept seeing something growing. He kept seeing a flame spreading, and he kept helping. He kept helping me see it. He kept pointing and saying to me, pay attention. This just might be the word of the Lord. It also happened by being in proximity to holy places, proximity to sacred places. I was given opportunities to do things at church, starting with lighting candles. Be careful, kiddos. If you get that gig, you're being drawn into the crosshairs. It helped to be apprenticed to, to holy tasks. I got to write and think about theology and do things and, uh, that people thanked me for. And that had not really happened very much. And it lit up my soul. Made me feel alive made me feel like I belonged, that I was doing something that mattered. Why am I testifying with my story for you today? So that you can become a minister too? Absolutely not. <laughs> I think we have more of a doctor shortage right now than a minister shortage. But it might be for that. You don't know how God might call you. It may come to you completely by surprise, like an arrow from a foreign shore. It may have nothing at all to do with ministry. It may not have anything at all to do with church. But it has everything to do with God not being satisfied to be silenced 
do not be duped by the narrative of decline. This is our father's world, and God will get who God wants. In the end, God will claim each one of us. It may be that right now you are struggling in your life to hear, to hear a word from God, to, to receive a light to your, uh, your path, a, a lamp to your, pe- your path. You, you may be struggling to see or to hear. You may be wondering if you are in the right line of work. You may be wondering if you need a word from the Lord to share with someone else in your family or among your friends. Your life might be falling apart right now or you might be picking up the pieces after it did. Guess what? Eli's life was a shambles and he became an instrument of discernment for a new day in Israel. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's happened in your life to bring you here today. But I know this. With my whole soul, God is a loquacious God. God loves to speak. God loves to surprise. God loves to send us secret messages that won't stay secret for long. Take heart, my friends. If you are afraid about your life, if you are afraid about church, if you are afraid about your future, stick around here for a while. Maybe pick up a gig lighting candles or helping with the kids or serving food on Thursdays or making a pit stop in Cuba or America's Georgia. And sometime, somehow, As you keep your ears and eyes open, the Lord whose word enjoys flashing forth flames of fire will ignite your soul.